and welcome to the 100th episode of Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. You can find our weekly property show live every Sunday on our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk, or by searching Property Matters TV in either YouTube or Facebook. Whenever or wherever you're enjoying the show, please get in touch and uh, leave your comments in the comments section below. And if you'd like to email us, as always, it's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast from your favourite podcast platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, at Monday morning, 10am, following the Sunday broadcast. And as this is our 100th show today, we've got something rather special for you, not just our property expert, uh, Joe Joshi, of course, although that would be more than sufficient. We have also Bob Singh and Guy Charrison as well. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning, Paul. Lovely to see you. Nice to see you, Joe. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, nice to see everybody. Thank you for joining us. A uh, hundredth episode. It's quite shocking, really, to think that we got to that. I feel like I'm playing cricket and I've got a century going on here. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, we started this whole uh, whole idea in um, uh, lockdown, thinking how we're going to get there, what we're going to do, how we're going to communicate, and it's kind of grown its own legs. Um, and thank you for the support for both Guy and Bob. Uh, we do disturb both of them in different parts of the world, and certainly Bob is often disturbed at short notice um, to have an input on the financial side of things, because obviously being part of... Uh, advice or, or, or as they call it uh, uh, some sort of investment discussion we need to make sure Bob is available for that because the uh, financial conduct authority might come down on us and say to us oh you don't know what you're talking about so hence Bob is always on call and Guy from a distance with his world of experience um, as an auctioneer and of course a surveyor and on top of all of that he's got his own specialities in long-term Mentor, long, long time, uh, long term uh, purchases of, of uh, investment of freeholds, uh, which I'm sure he'll uh, elaborate a bit more on. And Paul, thank you, thank you for, uh, of course, uh, making it happen. A uh, hundredth episode. That means that you have to get up every Sunday morning a hundred, you know, uh, times and listen to all me, me gabble away for this, that, the other. So. Uh, you know, uh, as I say, no pain, no gain, but thank you very much. And, and thanks to all our viewers and listeners on podcast now. Uh, we've gone all pretty technical um, since we started, and I'm sure Paul will have some little surprises for us. But uh, we're now podcast available. We have our own website. Um, and, um, yeah, pretty scary stuff. I've actually got a little bit of uh, the first episode for us, Joe, here. Look, here we are. This is uh, This is our first ever show. Yes. As you'll see in a second, you've gone the other way. You see, you've actually lost a lot of weight. I've just put it all on. But um, you, you will appear in a moment on our very first show. So there we go. You're just coming in now. There we are. That's uh, that's Joe of October 2020. So uh, I think that's uh, more than enough of watching all of that. But uh, that was our first <laughs> show. <laughs> And um, but actually thinking about it, so we're talking about October 2020. Bob, just um, give us your thoughts on how the property market has changed in that nearly two years. I think the housing market is never ever static. You know, something's always happening, which is you know what makes it so exciting to be a part of. Um, last two years, I've seen many many changes. We've seen uh, the uh, stamp duty uh, concessions that came in. That really really 
boosted the market because everybody took advantage of saving, certainly in our neck of the woods, £15,000 extra on stamp duty bills. So the buy-to-let market really, really kept the market going. Um, and But we, obviously the recent interest rate hikes have actually put the brakes on a little bit. Uh, people are now thinking twice about entering the market. Now it's becoming not a buyer's market. Uh, sorry, not a seller's market, but now a buyer's market because you know people are thinking twice about what they pay for it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, changing all the time, so it's you know it's very very uh, exciting for us. It keeps us on our toes all the time, and uh, you know it's um, it's it's good. I Well, I was tell you that they don't, they don't pay too much attention. Um, but quite interesting is watching both markets, um, the UK market and the US market. Obviously, I'm actively involved in the UK market. Although it's certainly been a busy time for you, that's um, for sure. It's both been guy, much what's the same. the perception um, over in the States or during do they the, not really pay uh, much attention time, the market was exceptionally busy. Uh, a lot of people moving out of towns and cities. That seems to be more of a, perhaps a, a feature in the US. Um, a lot of people moved out in their numbers. People moved out of New York, for example. It's you know something like two hundred thousand. It's quite extraordinary. Um, but the markets have been very strong in, in good, what, what we would call good provincial type uh, towns. Um, you, know, you sort of what Americans might call university towns, etc. So let's just take a look at our, our first uh, discussion point for this 100th episode. Um, the predicted recession will be unlike the 2008 crash. So mortgage brokers will need to assess their finances and lean on available support to make it through the projected recession at the end of the year. But the wider circumstances are markedly different from the 2008 crash. So the situation in 2022 is almost the reverse of 2008, as lenders are well capitalised these days, but certainly households and companies are very exposed. Um, also, the downturn will be uh, much shallower and shorter than 2008. That's generally the feeling that many experts have. Joe, uh, sorry, um, Bob, would you would you agree and um, suggest that maybe uh, it is going to be different to 2008 this time? Well, one would hope so and pray so because uh, we don't really want another deep recession because that will be quite damaging for the whole country as a whole. Now, we've had one negative quarter of GDP. We're expecting another. So technically, yes, we will be entering a recession. But the, the, the stark differences between 2008 and now are that you know, there's a lot of positive factors. There's no credit crunch going on. Banks uh, have you know, capitalized very, very well after the last... Uh, Crash. The Bank of England made them, you know, boost up their capital reserves so that if there if there was ever another run, they would have enough liquid uh, capital available to sustain themselves. So that's good. Um, the banks are now also lower risk in that they've hived off their high risk activities into different entities. So if that fails, it doesn't bring down the retail operation as well. So that's good as well. But interest rates are now. Well, they were very, very low comparatively to the 2008. But now we are seeing uh, you know, significant rises month, every month, really. Um, and if, you know, if they keep on going up, then the rates that we are paying now will be this, pretty much the same that we were paying back in 2008. But property is still very much short supply. There's a strong demand for it still. The affordability is still there to a degree. And uh, the appetite is still there as well. But I think there will be a slowdown. It, 
you know, it could be a recession. It could lead to minor price falls, um, particularly where the estate agents have overvalued the property anyway at outset. So we'll see a correction in that format. Um, but yeah, I think uh, we're in a better place to weather this storm as long as this war doesn't continue for much longer. Yes, the, the institutions seem to be well set for this, Joe, don't they? But the trouble is that we're coming into a period of in massively increased living costs, but at the same time, record levels of, levels of personal debt on a national basis. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, the, the most unusual situation that's now happened, um, as I describe it as a cocktail, we, we've got too many little mixtures going on to create uh, what I think will be a slowdown, um, or in my words, going into neutral from drive for, the, for a while until such time as we gather pace again. Um, and that is that, you know, you've got obviously interest rates are sort of creeping up a little bit, but I think the biggest shocker, which we've never really had before and never really allowed or counted for, because it's just one of those direct debits that kind of goes out and you don't actually stop and think about it, are your, electric, your gas, utilities, your rates, your all the others that have just all of a sudden started to shop. So the cost of a month has gone up, not just because there's an increase perhaps in your mortgage rate, but of course there is now masses of increases in the utilities. And to some household, that's not just a hundred pounds or fifty pounds, it's actually working out to be four or five hundred pounds a month going out because the other costs that have now added. So that is probably uh, the unusual part, had it been just the interest rate on the on the bank, um, I think we would have been quite safe um, in, in that view because most people are still loving the property aspect of it. And there's a, a great shortage of good stuff. Um, and, um, and so that keeps the demand pented up to a point where the buyers are still, we're not quite at a buyer's market, but um, it's coming that way on the basis that, you know, even though sellers are not coming to the market as much as they want, they are having to maybe readjust their um, expectations for what they might have got in, in the last couple of years. So there are changes, but I think we got, you know, um, a lot of changes in the next couple of years anyway that will happen before we start to settle down. And primarily that's due to things that we didn't plan for. The Ukraine war is you know, gone on longer already than we probably all thought. And it's possible it could go on. And then you got um, China and Taiwan, you know, sort of stirring each other up a little bit. And um, and those things will start to, to, to uh, dwell. But uh, the good thing about um, the UK, as far as I'm concerned, is we're an island and we have a restricted amount of development. So we can either go up or go down. Very rarely can you go out supply and demand is there there's more people at calais still waiting to come to the uk and there's nobody at dover looking forward to going to france um so as far as i'm concerned you know we'll always have that supply and demand factor that will allow people to still want to invest um whether it's a bad time for landlords or whether it's a bad time for sellers people will always want to buy and sell and rent in the uk can I some interesting comments from the governor of the Bank of England? He said uh, that uh, it was the prospect of recession is likely, and as as Bob alluded to, you know you only got to have a couple of uh, negative growth quarters, and then um, you know you're in a recession. But it's what interesting what he said is that he doesn't think that people will be willing to take as much caution as he is. 
He said the shame of it is that things have come around quite quickly from the last recession. We've had Brexit referendum in 2016, which took years to clear up. Then the pandemic, which was only shifted with the stamp duty holiday. So there's been a lot of difficulties over the last 10 or 12 years. Seems like we've been through a fair amount quite recently. He's suggesting that people just don't care. They're just going to spend. Do you agree? I think, that, I think, well, I think the interesting thing what you said there is, you know, in the last um, dozen years, it has been so volatile. People have seen uh, everything being volatile, and maybe they think, well, that's just the way it is. Um, whereas us older chaps who've seen a lot more um, do remember periods of um, more, more quietness. But then you, maybe you actually ask what you reflect on. Um, but in reality, there's always change. Um, so I think people just accept it and, and, and go with it. And I don't think they want to um, tighten their belts in the same way uh, people used to in the old days. So, Bob, one of the things, of course, about prices coming down, if indeed they do, is that's more attractive to first-time buyers. So do you think we're going to see an influx of first-time buyers towards the end of the years? Do you think there's going to be benefits to be had? Short answer, no. <laughs> I think uh, the government's stopped the help to buy scheme. Uh, the 95% the schemes are there, but they're quite expensive, uh, Paul. I mean, they're you know, approaching 4 to 5% now. So, you know, affordability is a big issue and first-time buyers buying their new houses will have to face higher energy bills because they'll be going into new contracts and, you know, the, the bill's going to be three, four hundred percent higher than what may have been the case last year. So I think affordability will be the biggest stumbling block for first-time buyers. They're really going to consider their costs before they go into a, a, a contract. And with help to buy ending, you know, I think uh, if it's going to be a natural slowdown for that for that sector in the marketplace. It's a really tricky decision to make at the moment, isn't it, Bob? I mean, you know, you're thinking about, well, I better get on that ladder if I'm a first-time buyer, but then there might be, if we end up with prices falling or if we end up with a slowdown, there might be better deals down the line. But I guess the downside might be that we'll still have even higher interest rates at that point. I mean, would you recommend getting in now or waiting to see how the market goes? I think it depends on your circumstances. If you have to buy, then you have to buy. Then you've got to make that move no matter what. If you can wait, yes, you could take a wait and see attitude and see what happens to the marketplace. But although the rate of growth is you know slowing down, it's still significant. It's nearly 8% last month. It was 10% the month before. Yes, that could slow down, but it's still a lot of price increases to cope with, you know, particularly for a first-time buyer. And, you know, one year's worth of growth at that level can wipe out your deposit. You know, you've got to then start again effectively. So I think if you can get on the ladder, get on the ladder, I think. Um, if you wait, I think you might miss the boat again and you might have to wait longer before you're in a position to meet that deposit requirement or indeed the loan requirement. And there are lots of changes happening in the mortgage world which could benefit first-time buyers. Um, as you mentioned in the previous programme, the Bank of England have asked or instructed the banks not to apply the um, affordability calculations or the stiff calculations, which always sat in the background of any affordability calculation. So with that now having gone, the banks are free now to sort of loosen the reins a little bit in terms of lending capacity. And already one bank's come out and said they'll lend five and a half times income as a, as a standard. To anybody earning a certain amount of money, like 75K, they're happy to go to five and a half times for that person. So if one bank does it, they'll all follow. So, you know, before you know it, five and a half times will be the norm as opposed to four and a half times. So 
the banks will have to push the boat out, take that extra risk. And Guy will remember this, the old uh, MIG days, the mortgage indemnity guarantee premium days. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think they could make a comeback because if, you know, if banks are going to take more risk in lending more money to first-time buyers, you know, they're, they're going to want some surety or safety behind behind them. And that indemnity, although it's expensive and the, and the buyer pays for it, it does allow the bank to you know push the boat out and lend more money than they ought to or would have done under the old rules and just to keep the market going for now because they can always pull back if they feel they're lending too much at 95 percent uh you know because banks can't lend all their money at that level they have to segment their risk profile um so you know i think uh, banks have to reinvent themselves they've got to really think back and you know, sit back and think how can they keep the market going work very closely with this new government and uh, see what can be done you know let's see what let's see what they come up with and the other thing is well people have to live somewhere so if they're renting um they're renting you know, the average rent i think is nearly 1100 pounds a month now and you know you work on that can buy you in mortgage terms um for a lot of people you know they're far better off um even with the, the slightly higher rates they're better off owning something and eventually you know paying it off and 25 time years time they own it it's going to be a, a tough couple of years, I feel. Um, the good thing is most people are working from home, so the travel costs are a bit less, so maybe they're better placed to cope, cope with any energy bills increases. And they've managed to save in the pandemic as well. They've not gone out so much and not, you know, blowing their money on takeaways or restaurants. So I think people have, you know, got a, you know, a bit of a savings or, or, or a nest egg built up, which should, uh, you know, see them through for the next year or so at least. Bob, you just pick up on an interesting point there that you say that um, people are working from home now. And I was wondering whether you've seen the type of property first-time buyers are buying is different now. Um, you know, we always used to start, everyone used to start with a studio or a one-bedroom flat. But people are working from home now, particularly if there's a couple. Well, if you've seen a change in that in the mortgages you're raising. Right a little bit, yeah. Obviously, in London, you know, first-time buyers can't afford freehold houses, so they've got no choice but to go for property. Um, but uh, we do encourage people to look outside as well, maybe, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes traveling distance where they can get maybe two bedrooms instead of one or ideally a freehold house. And they do exist. And uh, banks understand that if you're even if you're one hour away traveling distance and you're only coming into London once or twice a week, that's fine. They, before they used to be really you know, hung up about that, thinking that oh, it's, you know, it's too far you know for you to travel every day you're going to get fed up and uh, you, you know you're going to not stay in that property for too long but now they you know we do have lenders that will let you buy a property pretty much anywhere in the country even you know, if it's two hours away so you know lenders attitudes are also changing but we as we as advisors do encourage people to buy out if they can uh, but you know it's 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 personal you know do you think we're going to see the removal of the 95% LTV mortgages, um, Bob? Because I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was no 95% mortgages to be had and everything was 90% or 80%. So do you think that's going to be uh, one of the protective measures that the banks and building societies take? It's always in their armoury uh, to do so. They can remove rates overnight, you know, or, or facilities overnight. Um, or when they hit that limit, as I said before, they can't lend all their money at 95%. So if if they start breaching those parameters, then yes, they can pull back. And it's it's their way to control their risk. Um, will they really 
want to end them? I don't think so, because first-time buyers are the lifeblood of the property business. Uh, you know, until we have first-time buyers entering the ladder, then, you know, they, they can't buy the next property and, and, and the market doesn't move. So, you know, it's a very central component of the property market. So banks have to be in inventive, come up with new ideas. You know, the mortgage indemnity guarantee scheme may come back. The higher multiples are coming back. So I, I think they'll use affordability methods to actually keep the market going. Uh, but the government isn't helping. They've stopped the help to buy scheme. That's not being replaced as far as we know. So unless something else is reintroduced, you know, uh, the first-time buyers aren't going to be happy bunnies, you know, paying 4 or 5% on their mortgages at 95% lending. Second story that we're looking at is the rate of home ownership. Um, actual lenders are, are um, concerned, uh, Joe, because basically the 65% uh, of people in Britain now own their own home. That's dropped from 71%. 20 years ago. More concerning for lenders is the drop in the flow of new borrowers into our housing market amongst those aged 25 to 34, falling from a peak of 61% in 1996 to less than 40% in 2016. And there's a good point there, really, because if we don't have a, an influx of first-time buyers at the bottom of the ladder, they won't work their way through up over the years to those big million-pound properties that hopefully one day they'll have. Yes, absolutely. I mean, th there are two aspects here, Paul. One, one is obviously the supply and demand of actual property. But I think the biggest um, uh, area is uh, where Bob is uh, concerned is, is funding and the mortgaging. And that's become more and more challenging uh, as time has gone on. You know, long are gone the days when you sort of had uh, either multiples or joint multiples or even um, for three or four people, which I know you still can, but I think they ha they just haven't marketed that to say that more people can join a mortgage as opposed to just a person or, or, or a couple. Um, and because that has become tougher, obviously people have probably gone towards rental more um, rather than, than the, um, the actual purchasing, which is why the, the numbers have come down. But that's not to say that if the facilities were made available those numbers will creep right back up again because the ideal thing for everybody is to buy. And that's the that's the fundamental wish that most people have. In fact, instead of 95% mortgages, I be, wouldn't be surprised if we actually start to see the emergence of 100% mortgages back again in some shape or form. Um, it may be restricted to specific um, employment styles, doctors and dentists and all that kind of stuff where it allows them to, especially graduates who are moving forward and getting jobs who want to get onto the property ladder uh, to the first run, they may actually be able to start to come back with 100% mortgages, which were, you know, pretty much a thing of the past, uh, past 2007-2008 crash. Um, but prior to that, they were there. Um, and, um, and Bob will probably, you know, know that and, 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 and maybe give a view, a view on that. But I, I think there's two, two aspects. One is that the tougher lending criteria that are there. I mean, five and a half times income um, is, is kind of almost unheard of, really, you think about it. I mean, I, you know, Guy would probably agree with me in, in the sense that we're talking about two and a half times joint three plus one was back what, what the standard was. To go to five and a half to 6% now, um, multiple wise, is, is, um, is, a, is a huge difference. Um, have the incomes gone up as much? 
I don't know. I mean, some some professionally wise maybe, but generally not. But house prices are definitely going up, and they're definitely not going to stop at eight or ten percent. They might drop to five or six percent, but that's still five or six percent, you know, more than they're probably getting a return in their bank savings. So it never goes away. It's always going to be something that people will invest in in, in property. Recent research by the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change argued that mortgage finance rather than house supply was the main barrier to home ownership. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this guy. A report proposed a system of mandatory mortgage insurance for all higher LTV products based on the model which is very similar to what Canada has. I know that the lenders are not in favour, but there is some sense in, in what they're suggesting perhaps. Yeah, obviously, Bob touched on that earlier with the uh, the MIGs, mortgage insurance guarantee premiums. Um, I mean, it, it does work if you uh, have to have a high loan to value. Um, I think what, what you've got to look at is, you know, you've got one side, you've got the option of renting. And we've said the average rent is £1,100 a month. Or you've got the opportunity of buying. And I think uh, people still aspire to buying. Although I think it is true to say that some younger people now have the view um, that renting a better quality property is more attractive than um, buying uh, a lesser attractive property in perhaps in an area that they don't want. We would, a year ago, as first-time buyers, you would take something in a lesser area, you'd take a lower property, you'd improve it yourself, and that's the way you'd get on the ladder. And that's how we all were brought up. But now, you know, it's like the younger generation, they don't want that. They want everything straight away. So renting for a lot of them is 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 an attractive option. I think we sometimes forget that. I think we are dinosaurs and that we always think everyone wants to own because that's what we felt. Um, and that's what, perhaps what we would encourage, you know, encourage our families to do, of course. But that's not the case um, for everybody. I do have a solution. Do give us the, <laughs> give yeah. us the answer, Bob. And if any prime minister's watching, I think they should listen to this very carefully. If you want to keep the property market going, introduce 95 or 100% mortgages. But for first-time buyers only, let them have interest only, even at 50% of the loan, loan amount. That will lower their monthly payments. It will give them the affordability. And, uh, you know, first-time buyers can enter the market with a reasonable monthly outlay because on half of the mortgage, they'll only pay interest only. And, you know, if we can put an age gap of, say, age cap, of say 35 then you know in the, after four or five years they can have it have a, a deposit saved up through the equity or savings and they can uh, take next uh, take their next mortgage under normal rules but you know to entice first-time buyers i think interest only has to make a comeback and that's so, the, and, and Bob, you're saying that you're saying that's just on 50 percent of the loan so if someone had a borrowed a borrowing 100 they would borrow 50 percent interest at only moment, 50 yeah, payment. at the moment um, some lenders will give interest only if there's a big, big equity situation in the in the property. If you've got 250 equity, you can have an interest only mortgage. Or if your income is 75 or 100K, you can have an interest only mortgage. But first time buyers don't have 250 equity. They don't have 100,000 income. You need to come up with something else. And, and I think that something else is a part and part type mortgage um, with a low deposit and you know, after five years, you know, they can think about going on to a standard scheme or transfer gradually the interest only part back onto a payment as their situation improves. That way we'll get we'll keep the market going 
and it will make a lot of first-time buyers happy. Yeah, I think it's a very good, very good option. Um, I wonder, it would be interesting to look at the actual numbers. If you look at the um, capital repayment bit, if you were to have that as 25 years and then maybe 20 years, so because there's not a lot of difference in the payments. So if you had, I know we're trying to reduce payments, but if you could have the capital repayment part 20 years and then the interest rate for the other, um, that would be quite a good blend that might actually work. Yeah, a blend could work. And <clears throat> a lot of people do take 35, 40 year mortgages, but you're, you're straddling them with a lot of debt. And nobody keeps their mortgage for 35, 40 years. You know, they move typically after five, seven years and the whole thing starts again. So it, it, it's one way of tackling the problem. It's interesting, isn't it? 83% of renters are unable to raise the 5% deposit that we've been talking about. And it's hardly surprising when you think that the average 5% deposit is now £60,000, is, which is quite something, isn't it? And, and actually what they're saying is that that is the stumbling block because in most cases, the people... Uh, who haven't managed to get the sixty thousand or, or the eighty, the the five percent they need? They can actually afford the monthly repayments. They're just unable to get the deposit. Deposit, yeah. I mean, the other idea is a bond system. You know, a third party could provide the five percent in in return for a bit of a return on the uh, on the equity growth. So that's another solution. You you can introduce private money into the equation as well. So there's quite a few ways this new government could help. But I think they need. Uh, expert guidance from the uh, from our team here <laughs> and and joe what's 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 what do you think the uh, the outcome is going to be uh, let's just look at a year from now where are we going to be with mortgages and uh, with with the market i think we're going to have uh, a little bit of a break we're going to go into neutral for a while purely just to get used to all these extra costs and once we've actually um, got used to those and found and fathomed our way around how we're going to deal with that. I mean, it's frightening to think that October they're going to be looking at, um, you know, three, three and a half thousand, and then again another jump in January and then another one in April. It's quite frightening to think where utilities, those, it's always been the, the darker side that we've just never bothered to look at it because it kind of goes out in that regular standing order money in most people's things and they just don't actually equate to it but all of a sudden it's right in your face so i think we there's going to be a bit of a settlement there i don't think that the house prices which everybody is waiting for is going to tumble i think we're just going to neutral for a while until we find our our new ground and i i agree with bob in the in terms of um the new products that they've got to do um and they will because one thing that is for sure, all successive governments during my time anyway, have only used the housing market as their yardstick to bring it up and bring it down, to beat it or not. They either raise the interest rate or they reduce it. They reduce the stamp duty or they increase it. They do something. It's always relative to the housing market because they know that the population is driven by their investment in that. They, I, I've always said that there should be an alternative investment available for uh, people at a certain age. They're just not interested in dealing with leaky taps. You know, 55, 60 year old ones, they want to go and enjoy their time. Instead, what happens is they use their pension money or their savings towards buying a maybe a buy to let because they think, well, A, that's got some capital growth in it. B, I might be able to get some extra money coming in every month towards my, my living standard. And if actually any government would listen to it, 
they will turn around and say that you know we would provide a specific bond or a secure investment or a good return guarantee return for anybody at this age so they don't need to in fact that will open the doors more for the first time buyers because the reason why the first time buyers i believe suffer is because the investor comes in and invests and they can't so they have the deposit and they have the equity to invest the first time buyer doesn't and the reason why they have it is because they've got nowhere else to put their money in the first place to have that return so it's a it's a bit of a merry-go-round but um but because it does what it does to the housing market no one's ever changed it um but for kids in the future i can't see how they're going to get onto the housing market if unless something like this um has created um uh, been created for them to start to sort of think okay well that's that's an incentive for me to get onto the housing market Let's uh, move on to our final story, gentlemen. Um, and I, I, this is a kind of a, a broad subject, really. And, and I suppose the title for this would be, has the government got it in for landlords? Because we've been seeing so much recently about landlords being named and shamed, rogue landlords. There's a story here from uh, earlier in the month where the government is saying that it's going to start naming and shaming landlords. They're even asking them to self-refer themselves for breaches of standards to the regulator of social housing. And where landlords fail to self-refer and a breach is found, they will be contacted by ministers, no less. That's what it says in this report here. Um, and I'll, I'll just back up my case with you by the fact that uh, this week, Leeds Renters Union speaks out on rogue landlords. Um, talking to the BBC about, uh, you need a licence to drive a car, you need a licence to sell alcohol, you even need a licence to house dogs in a kennel. So it seems reasonable you'll need a licence to rent property to people. Does that sound reasonable to you, Guy? And has the government got it in for landlords, do you think? Well, well I think that, that it's... It certainly feels that like they have. You know, all of the tax increases and the extra regulation, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But I will just say one part. Um, in my 42 years, the, without question, the quality of rental stock has increased. Um, so I think we have to give the successive government some acknowledgement um, for that. But no, it, it's, it's not good. And of course, what's happening is now a lot of landlords, we've all seen a lot of landlords, particularly in the last two or three years, um, have been selling. So actually you're reducing the stock, you're reducing the pool, um, yet we've um, learned today that it's uh, the 65% um, home ownership now against the 71% in 2003. So you're reducing the stock, so that must push prices up, so that doesn't really help. Uh, ultimately, that doesn't help the tenant. Um, but I think the government's um, want to be seen to be doing things trying to please all the people all the time and that's not really uh, not really feasible um, but I think some of the more practical ideas that um, Bob mentioned earlier would be better if they concentrate on those um, rather than trying to, to to bash the landlords work with them rather than against them I mean there's no doubt there are um, some bad boys out there doing doing that kind of thing but Bob it does or does it seem to you should I put it that way does it seem to you that this is potentially political vote winning because they're an easy target, landlords, aren't they? Yeah, they have been for many, many years. I mean, you know, what the government doesn't realise is that landlords are doing their job for them. You know, if landlords didn't buy these buy-to-lets, how else would they manage to find housing for the people that, you know, need it? So I think they really ought to be, you know, friendly with us and give us incentives rather than punish us with punitive tax changes and things like that. And, 
EPC deadlines and what have you, you know, um, they should work with us. And so we can, we can increase their housing stock for them. So they don't have to build as many houses as, as, as you know, they, they aim to do so. I mean, they never meet their targets. So they should be encouraging us, encouraging landlords to buy more property so they can help them house, uh, house the people that they can't house themselves. And Joe, we're seeing uh, reportedly lots of landlords selling up now. They've had enough. There's just no money in anymore. And the Section 28 notices that uh, that uh, they're all uh, issuing now to uh, try and get people out before the law changes at the end of the year potentially. So it's it's not a not a good bill of health in terms of how the landlords feel they're being treated by the government. Yeah, I think the landlords are being used as the scapegoat for all the issues that uh, the successive governments have had. But as Bob says, the more they pick on them, the lesser stock they are interested in buying and keeping. And, and of course, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? There's less available to rent. The biggest um, tenant, I, I, I suppose, single tenant in the UK has got to be the local authorities um, with, with the number of people that are either... Uh, not able to get onto a property ladder, not in a position to have, or they're going to have housing association or local council authority properties that they want to rent. And majority of them, before they actually look at the landlords, most local authorities need to look in the mirror of themselves because the majority of their own stock is pretty um, poor, and that's probably being kind uh, in the words that I can find today. I mean, some of those are just horrific that they have to live in. Um, yet they pick on the landlord on, uh, that have good properties and good intentions and they have probably, you know, more more reasons to go and in, uh, invest in them and do them. So I think, you know, my feeling has always been that we in the property market have been a good tool for any successive government to knock around and, and do with us as they see fit or wish to do because either their interest rates are going to go up by the stamp duties coming down or they're going to punish somebody somewhere along the line and that they're all taxes of different sorts you know to turn around and start to say to landlords you've got to have a license to do it. it's just another bit of red tape this is another you know bit of money that they're going to pay someone else to go and tell them off and say well by the way you've got a license now you paid for your license but we're still coming to tell you off because you haven't done this, that, and now we're going to pay you're going to have to pay a, a penalty for that for having a license to be honest up front to be the right thing. So it's a constant turnaround. But throughout all of that, our hundred program would not have been as successful as they are had we not had this fantastic subject to talk about week in, week out. And we had such a good following from all the people that love property. I mean, at pretty much not that dinner tables and, and dinner parties are the current trend perhaps since since COVID, but to be probably the top five subject at pretty much every uh, conversation, every every table, everywhere you go is, is pretty much high up in the league. I mean, we don't have to produce a, a number one single to be in the top five every day. Um, and we are there all the time uh, without without a shadow of a doubt. And um, and, and I think that's that's the, an excellent thing to be you know, to be part of. So I think I think there is always going to be something there, Paul, that people are not going to be. But I'm a firm believer that um, you know we we love investment, we love property, and property is is the the one that everybody feels safer about. And there's things you can do to it. You can you know do your own thing. I, I've always still find the same excitement of giving somebody a, a set of keys when they've actually complete 
and they stand in there and then this grin on their face about what they're going to change and what they're going to do and what's going to be theirs and what they're going to make out of it. It's just, just an amazing experience. And I'm sure Guy and both Bob have had, had those in their own different ways. How can you take that away? It's part of our, our, our DNA, should I say. And as you say, Joe, it is our 100th programme and um, we'd love to thank Guy and Bob for joining us as regular contributors to our show just to make it something a little bit special for our 100th show. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your opinions and your attendance today. And as always, Joe, thank you for making it what it is week in, week out with, uh, with myself, Paul Allen. So thank you ever so much for watching our 100th programme. Here's to the 200th coming up soon. <laughs>